Welcome to Karura's weekly podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time to journey with us. We hope your spiritual life will be transformed as you listen in. We start in three, two, one. Good morning, everybody, and good to see you looking amazing from up here. It's really good to see you. And, uh, you know, we are really happy that most of you were able to engage in the 40 days of love and the things that we were studying. Remember, we said it's not about the information that we were gathering. It's about the transformation, what's happening in your heart, in your lifestyle, the things that you're studying that you can actually, um, you know, practice these things. So please uh, keep the fire going. Keep uh, your community life group engaged. Keep the fire burning and remember to keep doing life together do not stop keep loving just as we we learned and yeah maybe you're new here you're saying you know i just joined you in in the 40 days of love and i'm wondering what do i do where can i how do i plug in how do i get to know about karura and what you do we got you. We have a program that we call the Plugin Experience. Now it's kicking off tonight. We're launching tonight at 8 p.m. So if you haven't gone through Plugin or you're new here and you would love to know what what the Karura is all about, what's becoming um, a disciple is all about, please sign up for Plugin. We are starting tonight. Drop us an email or just drop us a WhatsApp message, and we will share the link. Uh, uh, as you exit, you can register at the info desk and grab a copy of the book that we shall be be using. Great. Now, have you ever wondered why or how we just do not understand certain things? Uh, You know, like, I can't really understand how Wallace played rugby. Like, how now? I do not understand that. But for instance, um, how in the world does a honeybee fly? Have you ever thought of, of the honeybee? Its its body is huger, if there's a word like that, than the wings that it uses to fly. In fact, uh, they, they say it's, it is an aerodynamic impossibility that a honeybee can fly. And think of it this way. A honeybee even goes and looks for pollen and carries pollen in its weight. We cannot understand some things. It's just a mystery. I'm talking of a bee. I'm reminded of, of uh, you know, this beekeeper who had one queen bee that he really liked. Like he was really proud of this honeybee. So one day he has a visitor who comes in and he starts bragging about this honeybee. I mean, this queen bee. Um, he had named her Beauty. Now, Beauty was amazing, according to this farmer. Like lovely, lovely queen bee. So the visitor comes, uh, uh, this farmer is talking about this beauty, and he remembers, hey, I got to switch something. So he says, uh, please, please hold this for me, and then I can come and we continue. So he gives the visitor uh, beauty to hold uh, for him. And then beauty realizes I'm actually being held by a stranger, and beauty jumps and lands on the visitor's um, eyelid um, and the visitor is struggling to remove beauty from there and then the son of this farmer comes in and finds this visitor struggling and this son runs to the phone, dials 999 emergency service and he says hello um, beauty is in the eye of the beholder and by the way that story has no spiritual significance whatsoever so please let's behold a letter from lockdown but a bit of 
um, introduction, some history, so that we understand about the Philippians. The book of Philippians was written by Apostle Paul when he was in prison in the city of Rome. And yet, in spite of being in prison, chained to a guard 24-7, he had this song in his heart and the book is about rejoicing and joy. I told Wallace, if I were to give a title for this series, I'd call it Rejoice or Off the Chains or The Happy Book. Um, it's a great little book that we are going to study in the next uh, four weeks. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony in the region of what we call today Greece. It was the first church that Paul planted or started in Europe. You may recall uh, Paul's second missionary journey as he and Silas were traveling through Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, and nothing was opening up. You know, um, nothing was going right. Uh, doors seemed to be shutting everywhere, and he couldn't understand what's happening or what to do. And Paul, he's here standing, his back to the Aegean Sea when he had a vision of a man who was sent from the Lord from Macedonia, from Greece, saying, come over here and help us. Now, it had never occurred to Paul to go across the sea and to take the gospel to Europe, but he obeyed when he heard this voice. When he saw this vision from God, he obeyed it and he took off and went um, across uh, into Europe. Now, when he go there, remember, Paul had seen a vision of a man, a Macedonian man, but when he got there, he found a group of ladies who were gathering. Maybe they were having a Bible study or a prayer fellowship. You may remember a name like Lydia. And surprising, I thought I saw a man. But Paul talked to these ladies about Jesus Christ and they converted. And these were the first converts in Europe. Consequently, a church started there. The church of Philippi. But Paul was still at Philippi, finds himself in prison, finds himself a prisoner. You may ask why. It's because he cast out demons out of the girl who was demon-possessed and could foretell. He was telling about the future. And many people were taking advantage of her and using her to make money of her. So Paul and Silas are put into prison and they are there. And in the middle of the night, they are, they are praying and worshiping. They are filled with joy in their hearts, yet they are in prison. And as they were singing and worshiping the Lord, it's like the Lord was tapping to the music they were making because there was a great earthquake. And the doors of the prison opened. And the chains fell off. And the stocks opened up. For Paul and Silas or no the other prisoners. Now it's interesting. I was thinking, okay, I would understand why Paul and Silas didn't leave. But everybody in the prison didn't leave. The other prisoners, they did not run away. I was thinking, wow, why what what made them not run? I was thinking if this was a Kenyan prison, if the, it was in a Kenyan prison and that they didn't leave, hey, there was quite some drama that they wanted to witness. They wanted to be eyewitnesses of whatever it was. So maybe these ones did not live because they wanted to witness what the Lord was going to do. Like the drama. Ha! Huh? What would the gods do? What would happen if um, you know, they had uh, stayed uh, behind? 
So Paul says, we are all here. He says, no, 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 no. So when the guard came and saw what had happened, he comes and he takes his, his, his sword and he wants to kill himself. And Paul is, no, 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 please. We, we are all here. None of us has run away. And we see that story in the book of Acts chapter 16, verse 30 to 34. He says, he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Boom! An impromptu crusade bears fruit. The entire household of the jailer. This is the jailer, Mrs. Jailer. And the little jailers, their children. They all gave their lives to Christ on this night. Now the story unfolds and Paul leaves Philippi. But the church took root and grew. And they stayed close uh, to Paul. And now he's in prison. When he's writing the book of Philippians, he's in prison now. Not at Philippi, but in Rome, in the imperial city of Rome. And then... The Philippians hear about it and they probably must be thinking, like, wait, wait a minute, Paul, you're in prison? But we remember when you were in prison here at Philippi, what happened? You and Silas were singing and praising and worshiping the Lord and the doors of the prison opened. So what's happening? Why are you not praying or singing? Maybe they thought that way. And that's a question that really hits us quite often. Why is what happened then isn't happening now? Why is it what used to happen when I was a young believer? Why is it not happening now? The things that I see when I read the book of Acts, why are they not happening today like they were happening then? The answer is, who knows? <laughs> I don't know. But God is sovereign. And God has his purposes for doing whatever thing that he does. Remember, just the way we cannot understand how a honeybee is able to fly, there are things that we will never get to know. But let's see what we can see and understand from the book of Philippians. So turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1. I like what they put or wrote on the poster. It says, I studied through the book of uh, Philippians. So today I'm here to do uh, the through Philippians. Then during the week you do the study. Okay? So do the study. Maybe I'll do the through. So, so, so chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul begins this letter with his usual greeting. He introduces himself and Timothy as servants of Christ. Now, you may remember when Jesus was speaking against hypocrisy and he's saying, he says in Matthew 23, he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, there is no position higher than that of a servant. Now, the Philippians were friends to Paul, and this is why he greets them this way. He doesn't say to them, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, like he did virtually in all his epistles, either in Philemon and First Thessalonians. He introduces 
himself in those other epistles is Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, he, he, he would affirm his apostolic authority in those other epistles. But in this one, he doesn't. He doesn't because the Philippians never challenged his credentials the way other regions were. They were his friends. They knew him. There was, there's no correction doctrinally in this epistle. None whatsoever. You see, Paul had a problem. Wherever he went, people that are called the Judaizers, people who would say what Paul was teaching was wrong. You know, Paul would say, salvation comes to you by grace. It's a gift from God. But the Judaizers would say, no, 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 no. It can't be that way. Someone has to be circumcised for them to find salvation. But that's not what the Bible teaches and what Paul was teaching. So the Philippians had understood the teachings that, Philipp, uh, that Paul had given and the teachings from Jesus Christ. There were no questions about his teachings. There were no questions about his anointing, if you may. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus are Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this letter is addressed to all God's people. Other versions put it this way, to the saints at Philippi. Now Christians in themselves are not saints. They are not holy. But it is only in Christ that they are made holy. Believers receive Christ's holiness and righteousness, not according to their own worthiness or goodness, but by the grace of God. Now, you may be saying to yourself, you know, yeah, I do not feel like a saint. I do not feel like a holy person. Yes, you are not a saint if you go by your standards. But if you are in Christ, he's saying, you're a saint. You're a saint. Saint, whoever your name was, as long as you're in Christ, you are a saint. To be holy or to be a saint means to be separated from evil and impurity and to be set apart for God. This letter is also addressed to the overseers and deacons of the Philippian church. These were the chief leaders in the church. Sometimes the New Testament calls them the elders. Sometimes it calls them the pastors. Okay? Now, if you enjoy the Greek language, it, there, there are three words that you can use for those uh, people. Uh, the overseers, episcopos, you know. Uh, the elders, they are the presbyteros. And pastor, they are poimen. Now, the root word for those three words is the same word. That means it's like this is the same person that Paul is talking um, about. Uh, that you, the overseer, you, the elder, you, the pastor, it's in the same person. And the overseer is talking about the ministry, the work given to these people to oversee the work of Christ. And elders, it talks about the man, the man, they ought to be mature or mature in Christ or in their Christian journey. And then the pastor refers to the method, shepherd, shepherding, they be people who are taking care of God's flock, the same person. Then the deacons were them that were serving in practical ways as we see 
uh, in those who served at the tables in the book of Acts chapter 6. Verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul expresses his joy that he he has whenever he remembers the Philippians. Paul says, you know what? I pray for you guys and I do so with great joy for your fellowship. They had become great partners in his ministry. And Paul's prayerful thanksgiving isn't just because they had received the gospel, but because of their active support of his ministry. From the first time he went to Philippi until now when he's writing from Rome. Paul uses such commercial language in chapter 4. We shall see that. To share that the Philippians were true partners, even denying themselves financially to be able to support Paul in ministry. Verse 6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is confident not of what God has done for the Philippians in forgiving their sins, but also for what he has done in them. I like saying salvation is not a one-time event where you are saved and that's the end. Go enjoy your salvation. There is nothing else happening. No, like saying when Jesus died on the cross, we were saved from the punishment of sin. We all deserved to die. And that is why in the Old Testament we see uh, people would always offer sacrifices for forgiveness of their sin or for them not to be punished. But when Jesus died on the cross, he was that sacrifice for you and for me. So we were saved from that punishment, from the punishment of sin when Jesus died for you and for me. And then we are being saved from the power of sin that we can overcome sin, we can overcome temptations in every day of our life, that we can actually lead a holy life because we are overcoming. So we are being saved from the power of sin in our daily living. And then when Jesus comes, we will be saved from the presence of sin, that we will be taken to a place where there is no sin, a holy place where we will not struggle with this body or with the sinful nature because we will have a new glorified body. So salvation is a process. It's a process. And I like this verse, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I knew that I would serve the Lord when I was young. I was in class five. Now, the interesting thing is that I wasn't even a believer. Um, Though I had grown up in church and I was quite active in church, I really got a few medals for being a memory verser, like I knew the memory verses, but I wasn't a believer. Then when I was in class five, I went to a Catholic school and I didn't have an option of another church that I could go every Sunday. And I remember going and asking, how can someone become an altar boy? And I became an altar boy. I wasn't even Catholic. I wasn't even saved. And I would go out with the priests and do mass in the community. Years later, three years later, I gave my life to Christ and continued to grow in my faith. 
five years after committing my life to Christ, I went to theology school and continued to grow. And I have been serving the Lord since then for the last 17 years. Now, what he started 26 years ago, he has carried on up to today. And the promise that I have is that he will carry it to completion until his day. And I pray that the Lord will give me the strength and the grace to be able to stand even in the calling that he has given me. Because I know he will bring it to completion. I have people who tell me, you know what, I can't give my life to the Lord now. I will fail. I will backslide. My response is usually, if you're saving yourself, most definitely you will fail. But if, if you're giving your life to the Lord, it's the Lord actually who is calling you and he's the only one who will sustain you in salvation. He has never failed. Or people say, you know, I have this idea and I know it's from God, but I'm just afraid I'll do it or how will I do it or what will I do? Hey, if it's God who has started the work in you, he will complete it. An encouragement for you. If the Lord has started working in your kids, in your grandchildren, in your relatives, in your friends, in your congregation here at Karura, the Lord will bring it to completion. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. We can see how Paul loved the Philippians deeply. They were not just partners with him, but also sharers with him of God's grace. Whether Paul was in prison or not, the Philippians are Paul's partners and fellow sharers in all things, in the joys of Paul, in his sufferings, and in the work of the gospel as we see in verses 29 and 30 of chapter 1. Well, here's an interesting point for you to ponder and think through. Paul had the desire to stand before kings and rulers. You might recall his passion of preaching when he was a prisoner in Caesarea, talking to King Herod that day. Okay, I don't know whether you remember. If you do not, here he is in Acts. um, um, And and he says uh, from verse 27, talking to King Herod Agrippa. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Paul had already realized the privilege of standing before kings and leaders. You may remember how the Lord had called Paul. And what he had told him during his conversion. He told Ananias in Acts 9 verse 15 and 16. He says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul knew while he was in Rome for the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
Now there is an Ewe proverb from Togo that says, it is when you shake hands that you discover who is left-handed. And it means that events reveal people's true nature. The Philippians proved that they were true friends by standing with Paul in the cause of the gospel, despite his imprisonment. Because of their sincere love and commitment, Paul longs for them and has this deep affection of Christ Jesus for them. Paul is telling the Philippians that they share in the same grace with him for standing with him. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, that you love me abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and what and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Tokumbo Ademo writing says uh, that Paul is praying for three things here. One, abundant love. This is a kind of love displayed in one's actions and controlled anger, um, temper. The accompanying references to knowledge, depth of insight and discernment remind us that Christian love is not blind or irrational. It is a love that grows and is put into practice consciously and coherently. The second thing is discernment. Christians are not to wander aimlessly. They are to use critical faculty to discern what is best. Christians should walk in constant self-evaluation. Evaluation and discernment should lead them to choose what glorifies the Lord and keeps them pure and holy so that they may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. And the third thing is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Paul prays that the Philippians may be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Righteousness or behavior that pleases God is the opposite of sinful action. Its source is Jesus Christ. Those who put their trust in Jesus will be credited with his righteousness, like we see in the book of Romans chapter 4. And this righteousness will produce visible ethical characteristics such as those described in Galatians 5.22. Verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of, my, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they are all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, here is a simple but radical truth. We are often confused about what is really good. In our fallen, depraved condition and in our polluted world system, we get totally confused about what is good. Because you may say, this is good to me, but it's not good to him or to her. So we get confused. Now, I think of that classic story of a man in China who, you know, one day his name his, his neighbor came uh, to him and uh, he asked, hey, my neighbor, anything new? And he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. My hose ran away. And the neighbor was like, ah, oh, that's too bad. And the man said, how do you know? The next day, uh, the neighbor came back once more and said, anything new? And the man said, my hose came back. And the neighbor said, oh, great. That is good. 
And this man was like, how do you know? And the next day, the neighbor came and asked, anything new? And he said, my son was riding my horse that came back and fell off and broke his leg. And the neighbor said, oh, that's bad. And the man said, how do you know? And the next day, the neighbor came back once more and said, what's new? And the man said, well, the recruiting officer came through our neighborhood to take all our young men off to war. But he didn't take my son because his leg is broken. Oh, that's good. The neighbor said, this man was like, how do you know? And the next day, the neighbor came back and said, what's new? And he said, the army um, that was here yesterday went up to the battle against the invaders and completely wiped them out. No casualties on our side. So each of the young men that was taken that day now gets a great piece of land as a reward. But my son wasn't among them. And the neighbor was oh, that's bad. This man was like, how do you know? And the next day, the neighbor came again. What's new? And the man said, well, the young men up north that got their great piece, big pieces of property. The taxman came today and taxed them all for their new property and they are now bankrupt. Sounds like something that would happen in Kenya. Um, and the neighbor was like, oh, that's bad. And this man was like, how do you know? I could go on and on and on with this story. But the point is simply this. We don't really know what's good or what's bad in our own rational thinking. What we think is good, cushy, beautiful, and wonderful could be bad, sad, tragic, and even brutal. And what we think is suffering and pain and agony can truly be that which brings beauty and happiness and joy and glory. Chains or difficulties or suffering proves to be good because God has not replaced suffering with glory. God has not replaced suffering with glory. He transforms suffering into glory. I will say that again. God has not replaced suffering with glory. He transforms suffering into glory. The world says the absence of suffering means glory. The word says the presence of suffering brings glory. Peter puts it more direct. He says, uh, Peter 4 verse 12, it says, First Peter 4, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the uh, fiery ordeal that has come on, on you to test you, to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the Spirit of God and of God rests on you. This is radical, completely contrary to everything that we could conclude in our fleshly intellectual analysis. Now, instead of the gospel, instead of hindering the gospel, Paul's imprisonment had served to make it known. Paul's imprisonment ensured more spread of the gospel. 
you know we are history writes and tells us that uh, you know the soldiers or the guards would work in 6 hour shifts so after every 6 hours a new guard would come and then uh, and then another one and so on and so forth so they may have been thinking oh yeah we will watch over this guy he will not break out and go preach the gospel but paul could have been thinking hmm He thinks I am the prisoner. He is the prisoner. He's got to listen to me for 6 hours. I will preach to him. And then you can think all these soldiers, all these guards who had contact with him just going out and sharing what had happened when they were guarding um Paul. One after another. One after another and there will be or there would be a revival in Caesar's palace. Do you see where you are as where the lord wants you to be have you understood god's divine design for your life that he is pulling things for you for his glory you could be crumpling for being in that prison whatever that would be for you while it is god who has blessed you at the center of it so that you cause a sort of revival right there where you are those chains that you are in reach out to the god that you're tied to bear witness for the gospel while in that prison my good friend an amazing man and my former boss we call him steve now steve was put into prison about five times and there's this one time his last time in prison um the gideons had placed a bible there the small blue bibles i don't know whether they still make them But Steve opened uh, the opening pages and John 3:16 was out there in different languages and Steve was like what do you mean the God loves me and he died for me and he can say that in different languages and Steve gave his life to the Lord while in prison and he served his term and he was released when he was released he began a ministry to reach out to ex-convicts and their families He was able to reach out to people who were addicted to to drugs of all sorts and just minister to them. Let me give you a better illustration from the lips of our Lord Jesus. Maybe that will make better sense. In the Gospel of John chapter 16, Jesus has been talking about his departure from earth and that he was going to leave his disciples. Now these are people who had committed their lives to him they had completely left everything that they knew they had left their families they had left their careers and here the man that they had chosen to follow tells them guys I'm going and 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 they're just confused they're like what's happening Let's read in the book of John chapter 16 from verse 19 it says Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this so he said to them Are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more and then after a little while you will see me very truly I tell you you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices you will grieve but your grief will turn to joy a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come but when her baby is born she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world so with you now is your time of grief but i will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy now when somebody comes to you and says i'm pregnant do you go saying ay 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 you are going to gain weight your tummy will be growing and bulging out in all 
directions and you will be carrying a lot of weight. You will bear stretches here and there. Oh my, you will you, you are going to eat soil. What a hata soil. Mami utakula njahe. Eh? You will twanga those things. Do we do that? Do we tell people, hey, you you those prenatal clinics you're going to oh my. Do we do that? You will be sweating. I don't see people wearing black when they announce that they are going to have a baby. I don't see people mourning and weeping when they find out they are pregnant. We look at childbearing as a great privilege and a real joy because we know that the same baby that brings the pain for a short season brings the joy of a lifetime. We pray. The very thing that is causing you discomfort don't know what it is it could be your mind it could be your job it could be your career it could be your neighbor that thing god can use it to bring you great joy great joy in your life it might take a day it might take nine hours it might take nine months it may take nine years it may take 90 years but god will transform that pain into joy Now Paul is in prison other preachers come about for all reasons good and bad and we see that from verse 15 to around 20 they come up and Paul says what really matters to me is that Christ is being preached verse 21 as i conclude verse 21 says for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain okay for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me Paul did everything for Christ's sake and through Christ's spirit without Christ Paul was nothing without Christ's grace and power we can say Paul was no there in fact he says it in the book of Galatians 2:20 says i have been crucified with Christ and i no longer live but Christ lives in me the life i now live in the body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me for me for to me to live is Christ there's nothing else that matters in this world other than Christ i live because of Christ i breathe because of Christ for to me to live is Christ if we were to be honest and you were to fill in and complete that phrase what would you say for to me to live is what would you say what would you say would you say for me to live is netflix or serious marathon for me to live is facebook instagram tiktok twitter For me to live is my bank account, what I have, the wealth that I have, my business, land. For me to live is what? For to me 
to live is Christ. Can you say with Paul, or as Paul said, that you can give up everything for the sake of Christ? That even though you are in chains, you are in prison, you can say, I am here because the Lord has brought me here. And from, to me, to live is Christ. So in summary, Philippians chapter 1. We see Paul's confidence. Confidence in the community that he had. Confidence of the Philippian church. People who had stood by him and with him. People who had supported his ministry. And for you, do you have that community? Do you have confidence in any community around you? Do you have people that you share your things, people who hold you accountable, people who partner with you as we journey on with life? Do you have that confidence in a community? The second thing that we see here is the chains. The chains that Paul is in prison, yet being in chains advances the gospel more. How are you in chains or what are your chains? How are you suffering for the sake of the gospel? And while at it, while in those chains, what can you do? How can you take advantage of being in chains and turn it for good? How can you allow God to transform that suffering into glory? The chains. And the last thing that we see here is the champion. Paul's champion here is Jesus Christ. He says, for to me to live is Christ. Jesus Christ is everything for Paul. And that is what we ought to say. That for me to live is Christ. He's my champion. Who is your champion? Or what is your champion? Is it what you have? Is it what you think you can achieve? Is it the person that you know? Champion, I know so and so. They can fix this for me. Do you have the confidence in a community? Do you see the chains or, and how you can use being in those chains for the better, for glory or for joy? And who is your champion? I want to invite Ekara Voices to come as we conclude. But allow me to read uh, the last portion from verse 27. It says, whatever happens, hey, whatever happens, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, and that by God no one else by God now to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel we must imitate Christ and lead a holy life the gospel of Christ is most effectively preached not with our tongues or by our tongues but with the lives that we lead someone wrote and said you may be the only gospel that someone will ever read by how you relate with them at home, in the office, in the matatu, as you drive in the road, you are the only gospel someone will ever read. Verse 29 and 30, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, 
since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here that I still have it's a guarantee that you will suffer it's a guarantee that you will go through prison you'll be imprisoned you'll be put into chains different chains but he is with you can you turn it into joy can you turn it into joy and celebrate like Paul did while he was in prison celebrated what God was doing with him in the prison let's all rise as we close